look how big and aggressive his name is. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> I love picking on Ed. It's my favorite thing. Uh, my new favorite thing now. Right. Um, okay. So welcome back to another episode of the X Factor Racing podcast. We have a huge larger than life guest with us tonight. It's Nancy, myself, Carson will be joining us as soon as she can, if she's able, but we have with us the one, the only Ed DeRosa. Ed, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, second favorite weekend of the racing year. So I'm pretty pumped up and uh, just added a, another level to it, getting to spend some time with y'all uh, on Breeders' Cup Eve. We were excited the moment um, I, we have a group chat, of course, uh, where we discuss who we'd like to invite and things like that. And and so when the Breeders' Cup was coming up, I can't remember who suggested it, but we we're like, you know, this is a this is the best time to find an invite. Did I? You did. It was, it was a stroke of genius on my part, if I do say so myself. Well, but yeah, well, your uh, reputation and- proceeds here. <laughs> I'm not sure that was a compliment or a slight. We'll figure it out later. But um, so I guess I suggested, well, this is the best time, like the perfect time to bring on Ed. And immediately Nancy was so adorable and sweet as she usually is. <gasps> I'll invite him right now. When do we want to have him on? What time? What do we want? You know, it was so awesome. Everybody was immediately like, yes, Ed. Ed's the one. So you're our Breeders' <laughs> Cup person this week, Ed, and we're very happy to have you. But so we're going to start with some easy questions, at Ed, and then we're going to okay. really difficult ones toward the end. And then I'm going to ask you a very important Mary fuck kill question. Oh, I'm okay. To, yes, absolutely. So I'm going to tease you with that a little bit. And at the I, end, I got a little nervous when you started that with Mary. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm keeping it civil, Ed. I appreciate that. I appreciate no. it too. I don't like to put people in the middle of things. You are. That is. Yes. Um, Ed, tell us how you got into horse racing. What's your origin story? I grew up in Cleveland. And, oh, that's um, unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I do miss it. I like mm-hmm. Cleveland better than Columbus. Uh, okay. But a uh, child of the 80s. And back then there was uh, the military at internet, but no real internet. For us plebes uh so if you wanted to go to interact with racing you had to go to the track and we did have a track in cleveland thistle down and no adw no simulcasting even back then so you wow. you couldn't be at the track and bet another track it was either thistle down or maybe they piped in one race that was part of their card uh, mm-hmm. All that is to lead into my grandfather was a bookie so if you did want to <laughs> bet saratoga you would see my grandfather and same, you know, Gulfstream, Hialeah. And I got to know all these tracks because of what he did. And, you know, I didn't really know what he was doing exactly or that it was illicit or illegal. Uh, Mm -hmm. Just it was natural to me that, yeah, if you wanted to bet, you saw my grandpa. Didn't didn't seem like a big deal. But I would tag along with him to the track. And back then, Thistledown would actually get four or five thousand on a Saturday. uh, Decent crowd. And just the, the, I just remember being enchanted by that roar of the crowd when the horses turned for home right. and people would stand up and they'd be cheering for their horse or cursing out some jockey. 
like it it just felt like this is the environment that really gets the the synapses going and the endorphin rush and uh, I, I really haven't left. To be quite honest, I'd probably go maybe once every other week with my grandfather as I was young and then, you know, a little bit older, preteen, maybe even once a week. So um, just it, it sunk its teeth into me. And, you know, I'm not one of these backside people or grew up in it. Just have always been a fan and uh, still fortunate enough to, to get to go to the track as much as I do. Wow. So when you're a kid, going to the track with your grandpa, is he sitting you down with PPs and going through, you know, what they mean and how to read them? Or is it something that you just kind of picked up by listening to grandpa talk to other people or other, you know, handicappers talk? Yeah, I definitely even, you know, at at a young age, you don't know all that's going on, but I could tell there was sort of a balance in his mind. He didn't want to you know, completely foster and encourage a sort of degenerate lifestyle. And um, he, as I do, so I I certainly understand, uh, you -hmm. know, he had his struggles with um, kind of playing from the till, so to speak. He would gamble on horses too. And Mm -hmm. I've had to to check myself in the past, uh, you know, thankfully with age comes wisdom, or at least you hope it does. So I've gotten better about, you know, bankroll management and Mm -hmm. how to, you know, best play the races uh, is someone who is not a long-term winning player. Um, So I I think he was sensitive to, you know, not wanting to be encouraging of Mm -hmm. certain behaviors and bad habits while at the same time recognizing that I was interested in this. I did want to learn about it. I, you know, looked up to my grandfather and he didn't want to turn me away either. So it was, you know, definitely that sort of balance of I'm there. He wants me to enjoy it, but not, you know, completely over the top, like teaching me how to gamble when I'm eight years old. But yeah, you, you pick up on stuff. Um, I, I remember I recognized that show wagering was like way over the edge of like too safe. But as a kid, like my, my mom didn't mind if I you know had a bet or two, she'd give me like six bucks for the day. And I wouldn't bet it to win because I knew that was maybe a little not as safe. So I, mm-hmm. my first bets were I was in place pool uh, very heavily as a child and, um, you know, learning risk and things like that. And yeah. it, it, they're great lessons to learn. But, you know, unfortunately, you kind of have to be 18 to do it legally. So, yeah, he, he kind of balanced that. Wow. And so did, when you won any amount of money, like what were you spending it on? Were you putting it back in and betting again? Or as a kid, how does that work? Are you just happy to win? Yeah, when I remember the first like big day I had with and my mom was there that time because she she liked going to every now and then. But um, I think I ended up winning 40 or 50 dollars, which in the late 80s was was a decent amount. Um, and I bought or she bought for me a, a speak and spell, which I'm guessing Nancy probably does not know what that is, but you might. Um, but <laughs> I it, do. I it do. Was, it was, you know, an electronic and it would you could play hangman and, you know, it just kind of had these word games for kids with it. Um, so they I bought that with the money. So and, and that was something important to my mom, like well, you won money. So now's your chance to, you know, buy something you want splurge with it. So that was kind of a good lesson because admittedly um, I've definitely fallen. I still do. And it's a terrible habit as is a gambler. And, and it's mm-hmm. definitely a leak if you're trying to be a long-term player, but it's very easy to just kind of fall into the habit of 
well, when you win gambling, that means you get to gamble more. And, right. uh, yeah. you know, there, there's a certain point where you should, you know, A, it's okay to reinvest and have, you know, more capital as you win and get better. But at the same time, you, you got to enjoy it too. Um, and, you know, take, take some pride in the victories and treat yourself. So that was a, a good first lesson from mom and my first big day at the track, which was actually at the dog track. Wheeling Greyhound is, is where that happened. But I, I always remember that, that she was, you know, insistent of me picking something out that I wanted and, and spending the money on that. Oh, that's awesome. It sounds like you had like, at least I, I didn't hear you mention dad, but mom, at least sounds like she was an amazing parent. Yes. Like she, uh, she knew yeah. how to balance it. Single mother, uh, dad, dad wasn't around. Um, so, you know, she, she and her parents, my grandfather and his, his wife, my grandmother, uh, raised me and, uh, so, some good lessons along the way. And, you know, some mm -hmm. things you, you learn the hard way as anyone does. I'm glad you said that because it explains so much. Like one of the things that I've noticed about you, especially on Twitter, is that you have an extraordinary level of respect for women that you work with and work around. And would you attribute that to your mom and in, in the way that she raised you? Yeah, I would. Uh, that definitely so sowed uh, sowed the seeds. Is that right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, just she was. I don't want to say father figure because my grandfather was around and I had him as, as a male role model, but you know, she, she definitely more often than not had to fill both roles. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I like sports. So, I mean, especially in the, in the eighties, gender roles were more defined for better or worse. Um, mm -hmm. You know, where, Oh, the, the man is the coach of the team and things like that. And that was right. just something she never accepted because she knew she wanted to be there for me when I did things like that. So seeing her take on that role, um, you know, definitely, I, I think had an effect on me. And and I'd be remiss if, uh, you know, I personally is uh, getting to know through the years, Teresa Gennaro, um, mm -hmm. who is fiercely pro protective of her beliefs and her worldview. Um, and, you know, I don't always agree with it um, as anyone you know, when you're close with people, you're not going to agree on everything. But, right. um, you know, she she was really uh, instrumental as I kind of grew in my role in racing and had some opportunities to hire people and mm -hmm. manage a team um, that it, it's not enough to say, well, we have, you know, a couple women on our team of people of color or whatever the, the diversity is. You have to work at it. You have to For consciously sure. say who are the women out there, who are the the people of color, the minorities, mm -hmm. whatever, that I could actively uh, initiate conversations with to see if, if they're a fit, because a lot of times for whatever reason, they might not be able to uh, know a role even exists and um, just things like that. So yeah, seeing my mom sort of have to balance those types of roles and then, you know, being fortunate enough to meet someone like Teresa who mm -hmm. has that kind of view, um, I, I think is hope hopefully made me, you know, a better person. And as they said at the, uh, the conference uh, a month ago, a, a male champion. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, I, I know very little about Teresa, but I love that she was able to help you, respectfully, kindly, you know, politely help you figure out what your blind spots were 
and, and, you know, work past those to diversify your team and everything. It's great that you're surrounded by so many strong, brilliant and capable women. I think that's phenomenal. Nancy, (laughs) Nancy, uh, Candace, you had on last Mm -hmm. week, Sarah Forrest, and Mm -hmm. even at, you know, Churchill Downs Incorporated, um, which, you know, certainly is, is an institution takes its lumps, uh, some of which uh, are volleyed from my direction, but um, that, that was always a, a very welcoming place in terms of, um, you know, it's management wanting to, you know, make sure that that was a, a diverse workplace. And that that doesn't always mean sex and race either. I think mm-hmm. viewpoints even uh, are important and socioeconomic backgrounds. And um, a lot of times, unfortunately, when people think of, you know, that sort of initiative to be diverse or whatever that, you know, we, we kind of put our defense up and as a white male, I, I'm guilty of it too, uh, you know, through the years, hopefully I've learned, but, you know, you automatically think like it's, it's an offense to you or it's mm-hmm. uh, a, a potential like threat to what you're trying to do. And and really what I found is that it only makes you better. And it, it's not always just, you know, like I said, race and sex, it's, mm-hmm being with someone who had a different background and, and grew up, you know, maybe in, in a different setting that you did that just has a, they, they have different views. And the thing is, is as unique as we all are, a lot of times, depending on, you know, that background and those views, there's dozens, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of people just like them that I'm marketing to. These are people that I want to interact with my product, with my sport, with, you know, what I'm trying to sell or make money off of. And it's just essential to be able to to understand all those different backgrounds if you're going to be effective at your job. Mm-hmm. I think um, that you, your reputation is huge and that hearing you say those things makes me wish that there were more Ed DeRosas in the sport. <laughs> What's one thing that you think in general, horse racing could do to sort of open the minds or, you know, break people free of this, this idea of like, there's an old boys club and women have their place and it's not necessarily at the forefront. What's something that horse racing could do to, to bring itself, you know, more firmly into the 21st century? I think one of the issues is a lot of times the answer to that question, and even if, as you said it, it was on the tip of my tongue, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, you hear, listen, like, oh, you know, there's all these people with different backgrounds and they have things to say, or they've had experiences that are maybe not as positive. Um, and, and I'm specifically thinking of, of women and minorities mm-hmm. who have worked on the backside and and in the front offices and how they're treated. Uh, but we have listened. So we're, we're past that. Yeah. You Mm -hmm. still need to listen, but I don't like, why aren't we acting? And there's specific secrets perhaps like, Mm -hmm. you know, we don't, or I'm not privy to, and it's none of my business. It's, you know, up up to the individual to decide what they want to share and the action taken, of course, but we're, we're at the point where like, we know what the issues are and the action has been lacking. Um, yeah. I, I think the I think the listening has occurred and that, and that's great, but that's very much only a first step. So from a, you know, what makes this industry more attractive to getting professionals to want to be involved and to make it better? 
those things definitely have to be addressed and just listening does not mean they're being addressed um, from a actual, like, how does the sport become more successful? Uh, a big, you know, part of just sort of laying the groundwork of what I meant by, you know, of course you want a, a diverse uh, workforce. And to mm -hmm. me, diversity is not just sex and race. It's also the, the things people are interested in and their background and specifically horse players just are, are not represented um, among horse racing management, period. Uh, right. they, they are just not. And that's not to say they should be running the show. I mean, there are plenty of ways to get people's viewpoints without them being an executive. Mm -hmm. um, but as someone who has, you know, been management, certainly not executive level, but management with racetracks and have peers who did work I do and, and were above me, at various companies, uh, there is just a huge lack of understanding of what the customer, specifically people who gamble on horse racing, what they're looking for uh, from this sport to continue to participate long term. And, you know, without that understanding, as sports continues to proliferate uh, as a gaming option, racing is, is going to continue to lose market share. Agreed. You said a lot of big words. In that response, I'm going to have to Google to find them later, but uh, that's no, my I job. Googling <laughs> is my job. <laughs> there you go. Now, Ed, did you and Nancy meet? Did you guys meet at some yeah. point? Yeah, we met uh, Churchill Downs first, and then Nancy was at the Indiana Derby when I was there. So we've uh, we've, we've broken bread with Churchill, oh, yeah. uh, and then at Indiana, just hung out during the day at the races. Sarah was there, uh, Rob formerly of Kentucky, now of Louisiana. Mm -hmm. uh, he will so yeah, always we, be Robin Kentucky. That's always <laughs> yeah, saved so. on my phone. That's always saved on my phone. So Robin KY. Yes. Oh, now uh, is Nancy. So you're, you're next uh, for the meeting, maybe Breeders' Cup next year. Yeah, that would be great. And if I, you know, um, I, I told Ed, Nancy, uh, as soon as I finished applying, but uh, I mentioned in group chat as well that I applied to the University of Louisville uh, in their certificate or for their certificate program in the race. I think it's the racetrack industry program or something yeah. very similar. And uh, if I do get in, I think that's going to be my next visit. I would love, I've never been to Kentucky and would love to just go and root around for a little bit, but Ed, to have you. It's I would love to put you on, you're on my list of people to meet. And I feel like I'm the only one who hasn't met Nancy yet. So I'm starting to get a little jealous. Um, I love her. She's like a uh, sister. Have you met Carson, Nancy? I have not. No, not yet. Oh, I was three going us together. To I was going to, if I didn't have a final or they call it midterm, they're worth 20, 25% of my grade on Saturday. Oof. So, yeah. You can't miss that. Yep. That's a quarter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, definitely. So Ed, tell us about your handicapping process. I am fascinated. I well, see you talking all of the time, either publicly via your tweets or in chats, various chats that we've been in together. But if I had to pin down, okay, this is Ed DeRosa's handicapping process. I don't think I would be able to at all because you do seem to encompass so many aspects hmm. when you are, you know, coming to your own opinions. So like, what are some of your go-tos? What's the first thing you look at? How much do you pay attention to breeding? Things like that. What's important to you when you're you're trying to make a pick? 
my uh, my first step is uh, I run the, the data through, I use Brisnet uh, always, which is a mm -hmm. software program um, that you can, that it's sort of a, a poor man's, you know, sort of first step before getting into real modeling. Um, which I do not have the the background or knowledge of how to do, but but Brisnet kind of gets you in the ballpark, and it uh, distills you know the data and spits out a fair odds line, and it's just a great survey of the race. Um, you know, I immediately can tell from from the output, oh, this race is going to have a big favorite that makes sense. This race has a favorite that might be vulnerable. Um, you know, it, it kind of compartmentalizes each race into. Oh, here's some potential because the favorite's going to be under bet, which is a mm -hmm. great opportunity because you're dealing with a likely winner who's offering value um, or, you know, the opposite where, okay, this race has a vulnerable favorite. And then the next step is where I go to the the data, you, you know, see me talk about like Ragazin sheets, optics, uh, thorough manager, uh, Colts neck, there's different data providers and just kind of looking at each one seeing where they agree, where they don't. And then after that, it's back to the PPs to, you know, try to see, okay, why did Ragazin think this horse ran fast, but Brisnet didn't. And, you know, maybe it's a trip, which now that Brisnet has trip notes pro for some races, uh, I do not like watching replays. Um, mm -hmm. I don't trust myself. I feel like it's definitely a skill. Um, mm -hmm. similar to watching workouts. Um, and it's not a skill that you can just pop in and out of. So I'm very thankful to people like Benny. Scott Shapiro is is an avid replay watcher. Emily Gullickson, mm -hmm. Joe Christofek. These are all people that when they have a note or a pick uh, based on, you know, trip, it's going to mm -hmm. be infinitely more valuable than anything I would be able to glean myself. So those are sort of that that third step where not every race that's going to be in play, but mm -hmm. it, it does come up and you need to know what resources to trust and whatnot. And I firmly believe that, you know, not every handicapper can be, uh, you know, it's not Broadway. You're, you're not a triple threat. You have probably one or two real strengths and you should be aware of what those are and, you know, push the, the edge when you have them. Uh, and in a situation where it's not a strength, you need to be willing to, you know, get some help and some insight. And uh, I am, you know, I always say, well, I shouldn't say always, because this is one of those things I learned the hard way. But um, the, the wagering aspect of it is more important than the handicapping, because yeah. if if I'm armed with Scott's picks or Emily, like two people I have a ton of respect for, mm -hmm. it's handicappers. I really think that, you know, I like the challenge and I want them to be my picks. Like they're, you know, if Moira wins Saturday, like mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a level of pride that's worth more to me than the money that, you know, I came up with that. But if, I, you know, I'm playing every day and, and Scott likes a horse who's 10 to one, well, that that's enough. Like mm -hmm. what more do you want than someone who's smart that's on a horse who's a price? So uh, I'm not proud. I am more than willing to to look at, you know, whether it's other written analysis, other data points, whatever, besides my own. I think it all just distills into what ultimately becomes the grid. And for me, that that's sort of my, I don't want to say secret sauce, that makes it sound like I'm, I'm splitting the atom or something. But, 
you know, for me, that's where the rubber meets the road because, you know, and people like to poke fun because I'll have races with three, four, five, six, seven horses, but mm -hmm. it's all about just compart compartmentalizing the opinion. And if they're, if I'm six or seven horses in a race and the sixth or seventh horse is 50 to one, and mm -hmm. I thought enough of it to include, that's the play. And it, it's hard for people, like there's just this huge thought wall that people have a hard time clearing that, oh, I need a pick, or this is who I like, and this is who's going to win. And if this horse doesn't win, then I lose my bet. And it, I just, I never understood that. And, you know, it took me a long time to kind of find my own stride and how to, uh, how to bet with the thoughts I have, but really it does come down to, it's not about who will win, it's who can win and mm -hmm. what odds are compensating you for your opinion of who can win and how often they do it. So, uh, you know, like the classic this year is a great example with Flightline, who obviously is a huge, very likely winner. Um, but if Taba, for whatever reason, is 15 to one, which he won't be, this is just trying to give an extreme example, but mm -hmm. that that's a time when you have to be willing to adapt and say, well, you know, wait a minute, Taba should be eight to one, 15 is a great price. And those types of situations happen every day. It's just all mm -hmm. about the discipline and, and finding the right spot. So uh, for me, I like digesting as much information as possible and eventually just trying to distill it into, you know, what a, a fair odds line, which for me is takes the form of the grid. How easy is it to talk you off of a horse? I can be talked off a favorite pretty easily. Um, okay. I, I've definitely come around to the, the thought that, you know, favorites just, they're typically over bet. Um, mm -hmm. But if I really like a horse, I, I'm going to stick, I'm going to stick to the gun mm -hmm. um, where, and I'll never be talked off a long shot. And that was a big, you know, I, I saw, I think, I think Emily was, who started the thread and if, you know, a few people jumped in and, and a, a, a common refrain was, well, if I like a horse at 20 to one, I'm not going to be talked off. And I'm, I'm certainly in that camp as well. But if I like a horse at three to two and, you know, Andy Serling's poking holes and, and Sarah has some holes to poke, well, then all of a sudden I'm not going to be as enthusiastic about three to two. Mm -hmm. I might not necessarily play who they like, but it, they could talk me into a pass of the race um, instead of taking three to two. So um, I, I, I don't want to say it's easy to talk me off, but certainly it's directly proportional to the price. So the shorter the price, the easier it is to maybe make me take a second look. Now, adding a horse is, the, is, is very similar. If, you know, Sarah or Scott, uh, the horse is 20 to one and I'm spread already, I'm using that horse every time. I don't, that's all I need to know is they like a price, but gotcha. you know, if, if they like the favorite and I don't that I'm going to just, I'm going to go with my opinion in that case. Like I've made my choice and I'm against the favorite and that's that. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I love about yours and Nancy's friendship is when I get to see you two chatting back and forth, either, you know, publicly on Twitter or in group chats, you have seen, you've seemingly taken this almost big brother role with Nancy. Nancy and I are 
Um, Nancy has more experience, but Nancy and I, would you say, Nancy, you're maybe relatively new to horse racing to some degree with the depth that you're in right now, right? Oh, for sure. And you're still like years ahead of me. Like, I know you have connections in horse racing that we can discuss privately later, but, um, and and off the pod, but I, I love how you've, you and Nancy interact. It's almost like you've taken her under your wing to some degree. And, you know, when she asks, people are really good about uh, helping her out, but you especially, Ed, and have you ever been a mentor to someone who's been interested in horse racing? Maybe even your, I know your, your kids are really young, but even other people who are around you, you're so knowledgeable. Do you, do you ever think about, you know, mentoring more people or, or taking that on? Yeah, I think uh, for me, I, it's part payback too. Um, you know, I, I've learned the importance of having a mentor and those types of relationships because I have mentors and those type of relationships in the other direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I, my first professional full-time job in racing, I was 22. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Thoroughbred Times, rest in peace, took a big chance uh, hiring me at, at a young age, um, full-time. Uh, now, now back then there were more full-time jobs It what, you know, wasn't as contract heavy as, as things are now in freelance and part-time, cool. but, yeah. uh, Tom Law, who was, uh, the editor there at the time, uh, you know, we had that kind of big brother type of relationship. Um, as you said, certainly Teresa is mm-hmm. someone I kind of consider the, the big sister I never had. I'm an only child. So, you know, I think not not growing up and having those types of relationships i've sought them out in my professional endeavors and you know fortunate enough to have people like tom and teresa and just knowing how important that is you know i i I hope he wouldn't mind me saying but joe nevels who's Mm -hmm. with the pollock report um and was an intern at thoroughbred times in 08 i think it was um you know he was someone that uh, just kind of gravitated toward and, you know, we're, we're friends. Um, but, you know, certainly with, with my role at the time and, and his just coming out of college, um, you know, we sort of developed that type of relationship and, um, you know, with Nancy, very similar, she's not professionally involved in racing, but, you know, people who are taking an interest in racing, I definitely want to, you know, foster that, whether it's, you know, as a, as a friend, as someone people can learn from both, um, you know, hopefully uh, Sarah would, would say the same, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the horse racing nation is her first office job for lack of a better term. Um, and, you know, with that comes not only needing to sort of learn the ropes about the industry and the people you're dealing with, but uh, you know, the, the politics of, of having a job and, the relationships that come with it at the office and things like that. And um, we, we all need a mentor um, in that regard, I think. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy to fill the role to be someone's mentee and, and pay it back and uh, guide others as well. That's it's like, when, it's like when you asked me to um, take score for Saratoga, I was like, am I qualified for this? You're like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you just got to jump in there. I, I think that, it, and that, that's that something really I definitely try to get people to understand about racing and, you know, the people that work in it and 
are in it for the right reasons. Like we, we want other people to be involved and, and to succeed because, uh, you know, I hate, hate to use a cliche, but a, a rising tide lifts all boats. And when, when people feel like they're making a difference, uh, it, it makes a difference for all of us. Mm-hmm. I can remember Nancy being nervous about doing the scoring. Oh, and, yeah. Right. Like, Nancy, yeah, I'm like, melt I was like having a meltdown right but I do remember you saying clearly a couple of times you know Ed's being patient with me he's showing showing me how to do these things you know I, I may have messed this up a little bit but he helped me fix it I mean would you say Nancy that Ed has been kind of a prominent figure for you since you know we've all become acquainted thank you Mike McIntyre for bringing us all together um, yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. like our godfather as a group, eh? Um, the, the godfather. I haven't seen the movie. If you want to, if we want to talk about yeah, it. Right. We're so surprised. Never, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for the never haves. Um, yeah, I mean, Ed's been really good about when I ask him questions and I always think, I think at first I was like, oh my gosh, how am I going to text him something that, you know, this stupid of a question about betting, but he's always been really good. Mm-hmm. I guess no question's a dumb question. Do you think right. he has he been really good up until about 45 minutes ago in his last tweet? Yeah. Yeah. Or- he was great. <laughs> now absolutely just forgot my existence. Right. Great. Mediocre at best, that? Edward. Uh <laughs> I'm when this I'm actually filing- drops and is published, I will make sure that Nancy is featured prominently. Thank good. You. Good. We love our Nancy. I'm filing um, I- a motion. Right. In, the, in Illinois court. There you go. Um, and one thing I would say, and, you know, I'd be interested on, on the teaching end. I, w- I would think there's some overlap here, um, really any job. But, uh, you know, we, an example, we just, at Horse Racing Nation, um, Keith, uh, who's, who's made a little bit of a splash on Twitter. He's a, a professor of AI at, at a college in Arkansas. And he's taken a liking to racing and has, you know, brought a, a quantitative approach and he's learning to, to model wagers and model the data. And he, he recently wrote a piece and, you know, he had just a little nuance that, you know, if you're not in racing, it, it seems very logical the way he approached it and racing being racing and does it a little differently. Um, you know, so I reached out to him privately and, you know, can be a little intimidating. And this is a, a PhD, a extremely intelligent individual. And here I am, you know, having to correct for lack of a better term, just an approach he had. And, you know, I, I've probably 10 years ago, I, I wouldn't have done that. And, mm-hmm. you know, even just, I, I hate to say this, like being not a great person at times, but, you know, I probably would have like sent it off to a, a, you know, side text of people I work with or something and said, Oh, look at this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. And, you know, I, I feel bad that I was ever like that, but, um, you know, thankfully we, we grow, but to, to me that that's what you have to do in racing. Cause there's just so much nuance and it's, you know, its own language and its own way of, of doing math and odds that are different than other gambling games, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it just, it, it makes you, it, it's rewarding to be able to share you know, the enthusiasm for something and and see someone else appreciate it. Like, oh, thank you. Like, I didn't know it was like that. And, you know, Mm -hmm. it's fine. And 
uh, that that's just something I've learned through the years where, you know, you, you don't have to be a jerk to people that get something wrong. And, you know, I, I guess now, you know, just <laughs> glad I realized it. And, um, you're very good about calling me out, which I appreciate because I think we all need someone like that in our lives and all our endeavors. But, you know, there are times I need to be pulled up with the sarcasm and stuff. So um, racing can be a humbling game. And and I'm glad that I'm, you know, able to to rein that in a little bit in my older years. You know, Ed, I I take full responsibility for, you know, my part as well. I am all fun and shits and giggles until I'm not. And then it comes on (laughs) quickly and it's like I sulk for a day or two or however long. And one thing I was actually just telling someone about this. I said, you know, one of my favorite things about Ed DeRosa has nothing to do with horse racing. And it's that when we do clash, we always come together in a private DM. We work it out. I'm stubborn. You're not. Thank goodness. You you just have such a kind, giving soul. And I, I feel like I learn from you. And even when we do clash, I know that it's it's going to be quashed at some point. You know, it's usually just me waiting to get over my grumpiness. But you are just one of the kindest souls I've met in in horse racing and by me, I mean, you know, on HRT, which can be, you know, just fires everywhere, but, (laughs) um, but you always like, you just have such a self-awareness about you that is incredibly attractive, first of all. And secondly, I know that if I needed you, I could come to you. And like, I confided that thing in you about, you know, applying to the university of Louisville. And that's because I trust you and I appreciate you. So thank you for always giving me another chance to not be an asshole. I appreciate it. I'm sure sure another chance will be needed uh, by me as well. So, (laughs) And we'll keep working it out. I love it. I'm glad we're simpatico in in our uh, appreciation for that. But yeah, unfortunately, it's, uh, you know, some things along the way, uh, relationships, uh, you know, I wish wish had been better in that regard, Um, which, you know, when you reach a certain age, that's how it's going to be. But yeah. Rate like I said, racing has a way of of humbling you. Whether you know it's whatever end of of, of the horse you work on, um, you're you're gonna have your comeuppance uh, more often than not. So, uh, just using kind of you know turning it on its head and using it for good is is a rewarding thing. Mm-hmm. Now, Ed, when when you are because you you're pretty big at horse racing nation which by the way i have such a love and appreciation of that website everything that i've learned from sarah from candace from you the resources that you all offer to me it is the best place for anybody who wants to learn handicapping no matter what stage you're at you can find what you need at HRN and you can find so much more than you need as well. Like the world is your oyster when you go to an HRN website and you read the articles. Um, How much do you think your perception of the sport, what we were talking about earlier, you know, things that may need to be changed, how much of that goes into the, the actual work that you're doing and putting forth with HRN? Clearly you have Candace, Sarah, some amazing and capable women, which tells me that you have a keen eye for talent. And so how do you think you developed that? Uh, I would, this will probably be an answer that be a little self-reflective, but, you know, I definitely think 
through the years, there's been some opportunities that I fit um, that I got passed up for. Um, mm -hmm. And I always think I want to make sure people get the chance that at times I feel I didn't get, um, mm -hmm. which is not to say that that Sarah never would have gotten that chance without me because she makes her own path. But at the mm -hmm. same time, um, I do think that that's in my head of, you know, when I'm thinking about who I want to work with and work for and have work for me, uh, with me, uh, I, I, I bring that perspective to the table for sure of, you know, realizing that racing could be a insider game and insular mm -hmm. and how do I, buck that a little bit whether you know through my own work or choosing the people i get to work with and there's a big reason hrn was was attractive um mm -hmm. you know leaving churchill downs is as it is independent and sort of a smaller shop and just kind of has that we're we're on our own in the industry mentality that that i respond to and and thoroughbred times really was was the same way mm -hmm. um its competitor was Thoroughbred Daily News and the Blood Horse, which Blood Horse is owned by the industry. TDN is owned by a prominent breeder. Uh, Thoroughbred Times was owned by Dog Fancy. So, you know, just completely out of the, the industry in terms of who ultimately pulled the strings. And Horse Racing Nation's not quite as independent maybe as Thoroughbred Times was back in the day, but definitely exists you know it's not owned by the jockey club like blood horses and and i don't mean that critically that's fine for them and this is fine for us but it definitely just kind of fit, fits my style more and you know when i i think of the people who i want to work with um you know it, i've said in in the chat that i would absolutely you know hire nasrana dixon who was oh, uh, my amazing. my successor at brisnet um you know i'd, I'd hire her in a heartbeat if uh, the opportunity opened up. So um, hopefully, uh, you know, I, a big goal of mine is that Horse Racing Nation is the type of organization and, and company that is like what the form was thought of when I was growing up. And, you know, I, I'd love to get there. And and I think with certainly Sarah and Candice and um, the others who were there that were on the right path. It was funny because Candace teased me a little bit. Every guest that we've had on that is any way, shape or form connected to you, we have asked the same question. What's it like working with Ed DeRosa? And Candace, Candace had a different response. It was, it was so, it was enlightening. She, you know, everybody asks me what it's like to work with Ed DeRosa, but nobody ever asks me what it's like to work with the founder or, you know, anybody else. And I was like, well, Ed is a fascinating character and we are all very interested. So I have kind of a question for you, Ed, along the same line. What's it like to work with you, Ed? What are the, the joys of working with Ed DeRosa? And what are the struggles? What? Uh, the, uh, <laughs> I would say this checks both boxes. And, and Joe Christofek, who I work with at Churchill, and Sarah now de definitely have variations on this theme. Joe calls it hashtag Ed. Uh, I think Sarah <laughs> calls it speaking Ed. Um, oh, I just have a, a very dry um, sense of humor for sure. But even more than that, just manner of, of speaking and um, yeah, I could deadpan with the best of them. So just 
kind of that rhythm uh, mm -hmm. of, of conversation and, and communication um, mm -hmm. can be awkward for some. And, you know, when others get it, they might really enjoy it. But, you know, I would say that's kind of one of those either way, like it or not. Um, but certainly it's it's part of the experience. Um, the, the, the negative, uh, I would say, <laughs> from a, a work standpoint, um, a weakness of mine is is I'm definitely uh, improvisational would be the positive spin, mm -hmm. um, but not not a planner, basically. And, and I don't even mean that like not a planner, like uh, procrastination or putting things off. It's just the, the way I work is like, OK, I'm on this now and I want to do it from start to finish. And, mm -hmm. you know, a sometimes that's just not practical, depending on the, the task. B, that's not how everyone like else likes to work that you work with. Mm -hmm. And it's just something I, I need to do better about managing. And, you know, being a part of a team means not always operating that way. So yeah. I would say that that's the negative, um, you know, day to day stuff. The, the positive, I would like to think, is uh, d definitely a, a strong institutional knowledge of racing and applying that uh in a way that is is very open and you know is recept receptive to uh different segments of the market um mm -hmm. you know whether that's the passion for the game the you know just understanding of the math behind it the gambling aspect i i really i really do think that i i personally would put myself on a very short list of of people who understand the game of horse playing and are professionals in the industry. Certainly, you know, someone like inside the pylons runs laps around me in that regard. Um, yeah. But he's not, he doesn't work in the industry. Um, gotcha. You know, for, for better or worse, there are, there are peers of mine uh, that just, and I've mentioned this already, but it, it really does. It's, fr it's frustrating. They just don't, don't get what it means to to gamble on this and you know mm -hmm. why people choose to do it and how to get them to continue to choose to do it and choose this over other things etc I, I just i think i have have a handle on that and I, I think you know the people i work with um can you know learn from that and we we work very well together um so that that would be the, the strength in my mind wow you know, the more I learn about horse racing and the closer I get to retirement from my full-time job, which is teaching, um, the more I would love to spend my retirement working in horse racing. And that's something that's always kind of, you know, puzzled me about Gorgo, Gorgonzola 44. Why isn't he working in horse racing full-time? The man is brilliant. Um, and has a great handle on the sport as well. I mean, look at how many people he's brought together just throughout the last couple of years. And, and so do you think he'll ever, you know, come to work in the sport or is he happy to just kind of dabble when he chooses? Look at me asking you about other people now. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> you know, Mike, Mike doesn't miss, which is something yeah. I really appreciate. Like mm -hmm. you, you, if you're going to argue with them or have, have a point, you, you better be able to show your work. Um, yeah. and that, that, that go, you know, that's a skill of his that, you know, would probably work in any industry, but he, he's an example of, you know, someone who, who gets why we, we do what we do. And, you know, the contest he, 
mm-hmm. he inaugurated and helped develop, which was, you know, public for a while. And I, I forget the name of the site. He posted uh, Daily it Gallup. Thank you. Um, you know, that that kind of taps into the zeitgeist of what we're all looking to do. We want to be right. We want other people to know we were right. Yes. And we we want it to be challenging um, enough that it means something to us, too, yeah. that we were right. And, you know, he, he kind of figured that out and he rolled in uh, the social aspect of it, yeah. um, you know, using social media, which, you know, look. And I, I've had my share of failures of things I thought would, you know, be popular or successful or that people would enjoy that they didn't. Um, it's just a natural part of of working. You're not everything's not going to be a home run or even a single. But mm-hmm. you know what what he did is you know just kind of capture that social aspect of racing, which mm-hmm. you know is a, a big reason I enjoyed going to the track. Um, you know, as a kid, it was being with family and. In college, it was, you know, going with a couple buddies and, you know, having some beer and getting to, to gamble a little bit. Um, you know, that that's a big part of racing is that social aspect. And his game brought that to, you know, social media on a weekly basis. And just, you know, that that to me speaks to there, there are there are very few people involved in the management of racing that would even have the the first clue of why that was successful, mm-hmm. uh, let alone the acumen to then port it over and go, okay, how do we make this work for our track, for our ADW, for our information? So, wow, your vocabulary is incredible. Sorry, go ahead, Nancy. <laughs> oh no, I wasn't going to say anything. Oh, okay, sorry. I thought you speak up, but so mm-hmm. Ed, I have uh, I have a couple silly questions. I know that we're getting close to where you actually need to be somewhere else. So we'll try and wrap this up in 10 minutes, if that's okay yeah, with no you. Problem. All um, right. we, we all three of us kind of have to be, or want to be uh, listening in on something else right now. We love you, Bill and Nico, um, or at least Nancy and I do. I don't know how Ed feel about you. They are probably very platonic, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> all right. So I have created, um, well, first, first things first, people probably thought you were coming on this podcast to talk about the Breeders' Cup. So very quickly, who is your pick for the Breeders' Cup? Even I know that. I Moira. don't. I haven't been able to pay attention. Moira. My Moira. best bet's Moira in the Moira. Philly and Mare Turf. Um, I like Ivar um, in the mile. And then, you know, you need, you need a classic pick, I suppose. But yeah. uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to see Flight Line in the flesh um you know just it, it's it's funny to brag about a horse is going to be two to five but right you know I, I vividly remember uh i think this was in the summer so he had raced four times by then after the met mile but i, I made a comment you know i t- i have tons of respect for so many people i work with um you know some of which i may not even like or would you know ever want to have a beer with but from a, their knowledge of racing standpoint, um, there's definitely plenty of brilliance to go around. And, and I was amazed at, like, man, how are people not seeing that this horse is truly, you know, once in a generation type horse? And then the Pacific Classic happened, and and I think it kind of clicked for everybody in the way he's been training since. So I'd love to see him live up to that billing. Um, yeah. Part of Part of the acceptance that he 
you know, it's it's probably going to run off the screen at two to five, which is not sexy from a, a pick standpoint. Not is, even a little bit. All right. But I have other thoughts on the day that are going to be prices. Blue Stripes, 20 to one on the morning line. Moira's 10 to one, I think. Ivar's Ooh. 15 to one. So hopefully I'll be right at least once about yeah. one of those three long shots. And then, you know, can just feel comfortable about, you know, watching flight line do his thing. But I really do think this is, you know, go sapper territory at a minimum and, you know, maybe even some of the super horses from the seventies. I'll, I'll listen to anything you have to say about horses, but if Nancy reminds me one more fucking time about Skippy long stocking. Oh, and... oh. <laughs> I thought you were going to say law professor. No, law professor is great, oh. but Skippy long stocking. Oh. She's like, yes. you know, Ed loves Skippy long, Skippy fucking long stocking. Yeah. yeah. I, I was I, wrong in the Preakness, but um, that for right him to get other times. the Belmont was, was, was solid. Yeah, so you kind of you loved Flightline before it was cool. I think so. I mean, the California people knew. um, You know, the workouts are bigger in California than any other circuit. Mm. Um, So there there was already buzz ahead of his debut. Um, Mm. So you know, I I can't say I was quite in on the ground floor, but Mm. I remember when he won his second career race, which was an allowance, and he got his buyer was one point higher than baby Yoda's. And Ooh. I just remember being gobsmacked over the thought that buyer would have these horses one point apart. It just made no sense to me. And, you know, baby Yoda is fine. Um, he's, he's a good stakes horse, but he's no flight line um, as we learned in the Malibu. And uh, th- that was sort of when I dug my heels in. It's like, gotcha. well, anyone who thinks that Baby Yoda is anywhere near flight line, let alone any other horse in training for that matter, you're you're crazy. Right. Um, and, you know, the, in the fall, which he, he didn't end up going to the Breeders' Cup, he waited for the Malibu and he doesn't run very often. Those are all perfectly acceptable, um, you know, things that might disappoint you. I think we'd all like to see him run more. But I remember reading stuff about how, oh, Jackie's warrior would beat flight line in a sprint. And it's just poppycock. <laughs> he said poppycock, Nancy. I love, I love baby Yoda. So if you, y'all didn't see my facial expressions right now. <laughs> Which by the way, you look gorgeous tonight. You look oh, fantastic. Thank you. I have my big hoop energy earrings. Yeah. The bigger the hoop, the bigger the hoe. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> Oh no. My students told me that once. And, and so I had to flip it to something positive because she was saying it was a bad thing. And so I said, no, darling, the bigger the hoop, the bigger the hero. And so that's what we say in my classroom now. But anyway, Ed, I have some mm-hmm. s- series of silly questions for you. I ran them All by right. Nancy. She didn't seem to be too offended by them. So we'll go with those. Oh, wait, uh, hold on. Yes. What does Ed think about law professor? Cause you didn't address him <gasps> yes. in the chat. That's true. Uh, I think he's not impossible. Okay, Ooh. thank you. Now I can move on. I picked, pipe, I picked pipeline, but um, you know that that's that's the race I have the big post stat from, uh, one for ninety something post seven and beyond. Um, so that that's a huge benefit to law professor that he drew drew the two. 
right? If, if XFR ever goes in on a horse together, some kind of syndicate, because of Nancy, we're going to have to name it like our lawyer or something like that, because we're all going to have to hire her at some point. When she passes the bar, she's going to have to represent us. Whether you well, I won't be hiring us. her. It'll be uh, pro bono work. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. I already have a name for a horse, Spicy Contessa. Do you really? That's the name. That's okay. a good name. I like, I like name. it. I do too. I want to name Trademark. my horse Middle Finger. That's how I greet people. Anyway, uh, okay. First question, Ed. This one's tough, I think. Your wife gets kidnapped, oh, and boy. the only ransom demand is that you give up Skyline Chili forever. What do you do? Uh, I, I'd have to give it up. Um, oh, I, I, would, I wouldn't want my kids to, to do without their mother. <laughs> That's awesome. Very sweet of you. Yes. All right. So as we have been discussing at length, you associate yourself with some phenomenally talented and amazing women. How often do you bring them coffee? <laughs> mm, nah, never. Uh, oh, <gasps> did you oh. hear that? Sarah and Candace, he's oh. going to be bringing you coffee in the near future. Yeah. Will be. And, and in fact, I thought, cause I, you know, can't, Usually we're in around the same time. One of us might be 10 or 15 minutes earlier, speaking mm -hmm. of Candace. <clears throat> and <laughs> if she's in after me, I'm already in my office. And I'll see gotcha. her occasionally, not every day she goes, but she'll have her her wallet in her hand, which means she's going to go across the hall and get Blackbeard. And I actually Ooh. did think today that, oh, I should have this waiting for her because she has done an amazing job with the, the Breeders' Cup stuff. Um, this is my first Breeders' Cup at Horse Racing Nation. When I started last year, it was the week after Breeders' Cup. So I haven't, I saw Candace in action for Derby, um, yeah. but but Breeders' Cups, it's different. It's not as big as in Derby in most ways, but with the 14 races and sort of the, the two days, I don't want to say they're equal, but the, the Friday card from a handicapping perspective is, is a little more equal to Saturday than say Oaks versus Derby. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's a little different vibe in, in the rhythm of the work. And, you know, she just is knocking it out of the park. And I even thought to myself, Oh, I, I should have had coffee waiting for her or something, but Aww. then I, I didn't. So I, you know, I can't, I, I dropped the ball there, but that's um, so sweet. You were thinking I am about glad, it though. I'm glad you asked that question because uh she definitely deserves a, a special treat. Uh, now, I am a big proponent, as you know, mm -hmm. of pay it, don't say it. Yes. And, you know, that I, I think at some point, too, you want to do something even more than than coffee. But the, right. the, gest the gesture, you know, to take the time to do it in addition to, you know, the, the minimal cost um, means a lot, too. So right. uh, it's thoughtful. That, that's a great question, and it will inspire me to, to certainly do that in the future. Did you hear that, Nancy? I inspired him. <laughs> I Na believe the right, say inspo. Right. Yeah, yeah. Inspo. Yes, inspo. It's funny because I actually, as soon as I, I was done with the um, interview with Candace, I was, I was inspired by her. She is the reason that I went to look at the University of Louisville and, and was looking to see if, you know, if it was feasible. I do work a part-time job. I also, uh, teach full-time. So am I going to be able to do this? But really, as I'm applying for it, I'm thinking I'm going to be Candace fucking Curtis when I grow up. 
So, <laughs> so I, I am so appreciative for everything that just knowing you, um, and then being able to, you know, have that contact with Sarah and Candace, it's been great. And I, I know that Nancy and Carson feel the same way too. So I don't want to speak for them, but all right. Final question, Ed, are you ready, Nancy? I no, think this is the one you were dreading. Don't do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do, do you it. See my, do you see my mood ring changing? I do. Yeah, yes. it is changing. That's crazy. All <laughs> right. Is that here we off? Go. Yeah. <laughs> Just stress. Distress, yeah. Distress. Distress green. I like it. All right, here we go, Ed. Mary, fuck, oh, God. kill. Oh, no. Nancy, Carson, oh. or Ann Cora. Oh, God. Uh, man. <laughs> the mood ring is changing. <laughs> you can't kill Nancy. You just can't. Yes, you can. Just she's do an it. angel. Off, off me. How, how much? How much of? Uh, What's been discussed in chats is known to the podcast audience. I don't think too much. Yeah, Do much. you, Nancy? No. Yeah, we keep it kind of clean. Undisclosed. Carson's talked about some things that make make me feel she would need to be the S. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. God, she's hot too. When you guys meet her, she is a stunning, stunning woman. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, that's the Jessica. I put the Jessica Rabbit uh, in the GIF. And, yeah. and I would have to say, since uh, you and I have fought before and would have maybe choked each other out at some point. <laughs> yeah. You're yeah. Still. yeah. Oh. No, I totally agree with that. I Nancy, I, marriage material. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Wifey. Yeah. There you All go. Right. I was going <laughs> for kill. No, I'm well, glad I got kill because Ed and I can fight <laughs> and then get up and dust each other off afterwards. <laughs> And if if it ever does come down to him killing me, I will haunt your ass for the rest of your life. And you know Are what? You? I'm gonna I'm gonna do it for free. <laughs> can I negotiate the right. I'm negotiating the kill? You guys can get married. No, I'm just gonna be like, look, Jesus, this one's on me. Pro bono. I'll haunt them for free. <laughs> beyond the grave right and you are an absolute absolute delight and i really do hope you you come back on nancy carson and i just love oh, you a bit yeah um Thank you're you amazing so and uh we're all gonna head over to spaces so <laughs> you get in our dj you know our dj film yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna take on the wheel <gasps> i'm excited we got the okay. grid Woohoo. All right. Well, on. let's do that. Thank you everybody for listening again, Ed. Thank you for spending time with our little podcast. We love you um, so much. I am um, very happy to do it. and looking forward to the next time. Awesome. Nancy, any last words, my love? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You okay. got married. So, you know, you're not a dead one. You're fine. Um, <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> All right. And thank you so much. Thank we'll you. see everybody next right. week and happy. Good luck at Breeders' Cup. Cup. Thanks so much. Mm -hmm.